Our sermon passage this morning comes from Psalm 121. Hear the word of the Lord. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. God, we give you thanks for your word. Your word that never ceases to encourage your people, to strengthen your people, to speak to your people. We pray and trust that you will indeed speak to us through your spirit to engage your word this morning. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you that have been with us the last while, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark. And one of the things we do for our preaching schedule is that always in January, we're going to go through a gospel until sometime in the summer. And then, and, and then we'll, we'll take a little break. And so we finished through Mark 8 last week. And so we're going to take a break until next January, where we'll pick up back in Mark chapter 9. Uh, next week, we're going to be, begin. We're going to go through Philippians this summer, which I'm excited about. Uh, but this week, we had a little break. And so if you need a, a one-off break, the Psalms are a great place to go. And so that's what we're doing this morning. We're spending some time in the Psalms. So that's why we're in Psalm 121 this morning. You know, as we have watched our, our children grow, one of the, whether you have children or not, you've likely seen this, is one of the, one of the fun stages uh, is, is in between like the, the years of one to two, when your children believe that they don't need your help anymore. Uh, maybe you've experienced this with children, maybe you've seen this where all of a sudden they just want to do everything by themselves. Uh, it's like, listen, I, I want to go down those stairs, but I don't want your help. Uh, I'm going to do it by myself. It's like, I've lived a year. I think I know what I'm doing, okay? So just, just stay over there. I got this. Uh, I want to figure out this puzzle by myself. I want to walk across the street by myself. Everything they want to do by themselves. And it's not that they don't need help, right? They absolutely do need help. In fact, if you see a one-year-old trying to climb downstairs by themselves, please go help them. Uh, they just think that they can actually help themselves, right? They think that they don't need any outside input, any outside help in their lives. They believe that all the help they need is found within themselves. And the reality, though, is that even as we grow up, this is true of us too, isn't it? We think that we can actually help ourselves. And to us, David writes this beautiful psalm, this prayer, this song, declaring something incredible. And David says, when I need help, where do I turn? I turn to the Lord. Then he gives us the short resume of the Lord, which tells us why he can be trusted. Who is this Lord? The Lord who made the heavens and the earth. 
It's a pretty good resume. Could you imagine putting that down on a resume for a job? What have you done? Well, I made the heavens and the earth. I think you can handle our problems. Uh, David, in a way, is almost taunting us, saying, well, who do you turn to for help? I, I turn to the God who made all that is. And he goes on to encourage us all to turn to, the, to this God when we need help. And he shifts in his talking from these first two verses, talking about my God, to talking about your God. And in this room, I, I'm pretty confident I don't need to convince anyone here that you need help. I think we're all aware that we need help. The problem that we have, the problem that we face, or at least that I face, is that we can tend to think that we can help ourselves. You know, and there's a billion-dollar industry, self-help industry, that is enforcing this very thing. But the problem is it ends up just causing us to be a very anxious people because at the end of the day, self-help functions like an instruction manual. Do this thing and this happiness will result. And the big problem with that is it all rests on you. But what happens when you can't just do it yourself? Even your own anxiety testifies to the fact that you can't fix yourself. You can't help yourself when you're in trouble. You need help. And God alone, the maker of the heavens and the earth, is the one that can actually offer you the help that you need. There is no other way. So what makes him so capable? Why should we trust him? And there's just two things we're going to look at as we consider this psalm about who this God is that helps us. And the first thing we learn is that our, God, our help comes from the God who is stable. Our help comes from the God who is stable. The God who created the heavens and the earth is a stable and steadfast God. Look with me again here at verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He will not let your foot be moved. The language here about moved is borrowing I, on purpose, I think, language from Psalm 46, which talks about these mountains that are moved into the heart of the sea, and yet God is in the midst of this movement and cannot be moved which is trying to point out that the mountain, the thing that seems the most stable to us in this world, when compared to the stability of God, is like sand. Everything that you think is stable is like sand before the stability of God, before the steadfastness of God. And that stable God is the one that's actually keeping you, who's helping you. He is your stability. The stability of God is actually seen further here in the second half of this verse to verse for he says, he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will, will neither slumber nor sleep. So not only is God this strong and stable thing, but he's, he's always strong. He is always stable. And he can be because he never sleeps. He's always awake, never slumbering, never sleeping on the job. He never needs a break. The transcendent God who made all that is, is always present and fixated on helping you, keeping your feet secure. You know, when we find ourselves in need of help, isn't it because we're actually losing our grasp? Our foot is slipping. The world is too much for us to handle. Our troubles overtake us. We are weak and we are frail and we can't stand on our own in the wake of these troubles. 
And we're trying to hold the front, but we need sleep. We need rest. And so even our sleep becomes a battleground for us. But this is because we were never meant to fight this battle, not by ourselves. Listen, you can't keep your own feet secure on your own. You can't actually stay awake. You need breaks. David is saying this, turn to the one who can actually help you, who is committed to keeping you, the maker of the heavens and earth, the one who is there, the one who never sleeps, who never rests on the job. And in this, we see this presence of God that is just all-encompassing in our lives, the kind of presence that we don't always see, but it's there. And if this wasn't a strong enough reason to trust God because he is the stable one, we find that it's not just this passive presence in our lives, but it's an active presence too. And the second thing we're going to see is this, that our help comes from the God who protects us. We see this in verses 5 to 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Right? One of the words that we've seen repeated here a lot is the word keeper. But now in this verse, it's not being used just to describe what God is doing, but part of who he is. It says, the Lord is your keeper. He's not just an impersonal keeper, but he is your keeper. It's not this plural, all you all, but it's actually singular, meaning you personally, you. I am your keeper. Yes, you. And this word keeper it means even more when we consider that this is the same word that was used to describe the work of Adam in the garden. He was left to keep the garden, to tend it, to protect it, to help it flourish. And now we see God himself picking up this garden work, only now we are the garden. We are the plants that are tended to in order that they bear fruit. And God doesn't fail in his work. And how do plants flourish in a garden? By the tender care of the gardener. Right? The gardener's active in cultivating the soil, and his cultivating begins with presence. And we see this your shade, he is your shade on your right hand. Just say this Have you ever tried to run from your shadow? It's impossible, unless you're Peter Pan, but I'm pretty sure that that story is not real. You can't outrun God. He is always present. Like a shadow on a sunny day, God is there. But isn't in there, look at verse 6, the sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The good gardener pays attention to be sure his, his field is protected from a day that's too hot, lest his crop wither. And also shields it from the cold of the night. And he goes on, verse 7 through 8, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the work that God is doing, keeping your life from evil. Keeping your going out and your coming in forever. He is keeping you constantly. From the ills of the day and the night, from our going and coming, from now until eternity, every part of your life. It's protected by him. There's no place that you can hide. There's no place that you can run. He is there keeping you. And we can be confident in his ability to do this because it's not us keeping him. It's him keeping us. It doesn't rest on our strength or our ability, which comes and goes. But it rests on the ability of the God who made all that is, who sustains all that is. 
In fact, the only thing that we bring to the table is in fact our neediness, is our inability to keep ourselves. That is what we bring. Our greatest attribute is our neediness. God loves needy people. The God who helps us is the great helper, the great keeper, the great gardener. And if true, if Psalm 121 is true, it's amazing news, isn't it? This is the thing that I feel like we all want to believe is true, that we all need when our foot slips in our lives. I think this is the great challenge, though. Because if we are honest, sometimes our life circumstances do not match up with the truths that this psalm proclaims to be true. From our perspective, it can sure seem like our foot can be moved. It sure seems like sometimes I'm standing on shaky ground. It can seem like God is actually slumbering and sleeping a lot. Sometimes I even find that the evil finds me in the day and the night. Sometimes it can seem like there's no protection over us. What do we do with this when our life doesn't match up to the great promises of this psalm? There's a a couple things I want to say to this because I know that many of you are likely feeling this this morning. The first aspect of my response, this has to do with our limited perspective. You know, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm uh, 11.4, says that the eyelids of God test the children of man. The eyelids of God test the children of man. And I love this imagery. It's like when someone has their eyes closed during a sermon. So, you know, I can see it when it happens. It's okay. And they try to tell me that they're just praying, you know. It's like, I don't know that that's true, but it's okay. Um, But just because God closes his eyes doesn't mean that he is sleeping. I love this. It exposes the fact that we are humans and we are finite beings. We are not the creators of all that is. Our perspective of what is happening in this world is usually not actually very accurate. We can only see one aspect of our life. We aren't the creators. He is, and he sees things that we don't see, and we're called to trust him even in the midst of our pain and suffering. And so could it be that needing help is actually the only place that we finally release our grip on our self-help? Could it be that being in need is actually good for you and I? That it is actually a kindness to us in the end? And it actually is the thing that draws us to God. Could that be true? Like someone that's detoxing from a drug and the heat of it, that detox feels like an evil. But it's actually the very thing that's necessary to give life. The God who gives you help will help you and keep you no matter what. So it's the first aspect, this aspect of perspective. The second thing I want to say to this critique is, is about this mismatch of life in this psalm has to do with just a proper theology of suffering. And we've actually hit on this quite a bit, thus talking in Mark. I mean, recently we actually talked about the beheading of John the Baptist. And even if you're not here for this, Jesus says Uh, in uh, the Gospel of Luke, that John was the greatest man ever born. And yet, John the Baptist, the greatest man ever born, gets beheaded. And we can look at stories like this in our own life stories, and obviously, again, we think, well, if God is protecting and tending his people, if he was, uh, what does it say, keeping our life, what's up with this story? How is this possible? If God was protecting and tending his people, how could he let this happen? 
Does this mean that God just isn't very good at his work? Maybe this is just his goal. Maybe this is like a vision statement for God, but he's just kind of working up to, to, to make it happen. For instance, like when we talk about a church community, we talk about our vision for our community, but we're actually probably not that good at it, if we're honest, because we sin against each other, and we have to learn to forgive each other. Is that what's happening here? This is just this vision statement that God's just not really great at, that he's still growing in? How can we be sure to trust him with this? This is because death, because pain, and even our own suffering have been transfigured into gain in the work of Christ. How do we know that God is up to this task? Because of the gospel. Listen, when we go back to the beginning of the story, Adam failed in his task to keep the garden. He didn't protect the garden from the serpent and all humanity fell with him. Yet God, right, despite all odds, continued to keep humanity throughout the entire story of scripture. He kept his promise to Abraham despite his and his children's wandering. He kept his promise to Moses despite having to prune them in the desert. He kept his promise to the line of David though at times it seemed like his line would end due to sin and exile. And he kept his promise to bring about the Messiah, Christ. The second Adam, the redeemer of the line of man, the one who would take the mantle given to Adam and actually do that work. He is the great keeper, the great gardener who's committed to his work, that never ceases to do his work in us. This Jesus steps out of the glory of heaven to walk into the dust of the earth to crush the head of the serpent, to keep his people, vanquishing the foe that, that the first Adam fell prey to. And in this, Jesus actually tasted evil on our behalf, an evil meant for us, an evil that we will never have to taste because he tasted it. And now because he conquered death and evil, when we believe in him, when we call on him, when we have faith in him, we have life. Where does your help come from? It comes from this God, Christ, who created the heavens and the earth, who sustains all that is, the God who keeps his promises the God who protects his people, making them to flourish and to bear fruit so that even, even when evil does come for us, even when our life is taken, our life is not taken. We have new life with Christ. So that even the worst evil that this world can muster can't stop the work of God in our lives. He is the God who is more stable and more faithful than the rising sun. So beloved people of Christ, remember, you are never alone in your trials because God is with you. We're called to rest in him, to rest in his finished work, to rest in his doing. And as God keeps your life, as you bear fruit in your life, you're able to share this fruit of the gospel with those around you. Because the world, your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your family, apart from this are stuck in this self-help loop. Right? They need this help. And as you learn to put your trust in God and, and call God your help in the midst of trouble, you bring this good news to those around you, helping them too to, to lay their lives before the great keeper. And in this, I think there's a call for us to be bold in our neediness. It's, it's okay. We are all in the same boat. Be bold in your neediness. So that way we can be bold in the great help that comes from our God. May we never forget this truth. May we be a church that rests fully in the finished work of Christ, and that we become a people who are bold in our neediness 
and in our proclamation of the source of our help, the God who made the heavens and the earth. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father in heaven, what an amazing thing that you both create and sustain all that is, and also you pay attention to us, holding each of us, keeping each of us. May you help us to be a people who trust in your work. Even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, may we hold fast knowing that you are there. And may even our shadows become reminders of your faithfulness, of your dogged pursuit of us, your people. Help us have a profound contentment and hope and joy in you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.